Hi there, it's Dan from the Still Parents podcast. We will be back with our brand new series very, very soon. In the meantime, you can catch up on everything which happened in series four on this special episode where we take a look back at some of the conversations we've had over the last few months. Give us a follow on Instagram at Still Parents Podcast. We'll see you soon. I thought tonight, something that we haven't really, we have touched on it here and there, but it's moving on and deciding if you're going to carry on and, and still try for a family and, and talk us through that sort of thought process and, and, and the emotions that are attached to it and also the difference between... Because you have Etta, don't you? Mm-hmm. This was after Callie. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think, Ryan, you already had... It was Alfie, wasn't it? You already had before Lily May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to, especially for, for anyone going through the trauma and they're not sure yet, you know, what the future, you know, whether making plans and, and something you don't want to think about at the minute. So I'd just like you to talk about your experience, if you don't mind. Yeah, even though me and Ryan are slightly different in, in that sense, I think is the fact that when you plan for a family and when you have children, all the hopes and dreams come along with that. And then no one would plan a family, especially with your first child, if you knew that that was going to be the end of it, that the end was going to happen that way. Once we started to try and recover ourselves after Cali, we decided pretty quickly that, you know, we wanted to to, tr- to try again. But it's one of those things that you just don't know if you're going to get there again. And you wonder, is that is the first time that was our time and it isn't, it just isn't going to, isn't going to happen again. And you do wonder whether, whether you've missed your chance. And that was, yeah. that was basically how we felt. Um, but it would never have stopped us trying again because um, we, we felt that, uh, well, I felt, I don't know what Crystal felt, but I felt we owed it to, to Callie to try again as well because obviously Callie can't be here physically mm. and can't live those moments that Etta's now living. So I felt that we had to at least try again to yeah. see if we can get there and, and to make her a, a big sister as well. I think when it's your first one and it happens that way, I think it's um, it's a real surreal feeling and I think it's the fact that... Because we've, we've talked about the possibility of going... A, Again, mm. after it and things like this, and we've we've yeah. probably decided, you know, we we, we don't know, we, we may not. But how old is that now? Sorry? She's four. Four. Sorry. But my my best mate, he he said that um, you've you've played the lottery twice, you've lost it once and won it once, and he said, why would you gamble again? I think the way he said that, oh, it okay. kind of hit hit home to me quite, you know. And it's not everyone, it's not everyone because yeah. everyone, other people will, you yeah. know, continue, and that's that's great. I mean, you guys have gone on to have more as well. It's it's the whole emotional side, yeah. And, you know, and and that's the bit I really want to sort of get into, yeah. so, you know, that headspace, that mindset, and yeah. and also you know, the conversations that you'd be having with Crystal at the time, and you well, know, before, during, and after the birth. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I I don't know how you feel about this, right? But I we we couldn't enjoy Etta's pregnancy, and it's horrible to say that, and I I'll probably never tell her that because like, I don't want her to think like you know we didn't enjoy having like getting Wait. excited for you and stuff, but like it yeah. was. Because, yeah. and I think it's the fact that we got to 38 weeks, you know, um, maybe if the loss had come sooner, it might have been different. But, you know, we, we could never relax. Mm. You know, we just couldn't relax. And Crystal knew, yeah. and Crystal wasn't going to, we weren't going to go to 38 weeks this time around. So we were going to have to come back, which obviously puts the baby under more risk because the, the, the earlier weeks. And so we knew that we weren't going to go for that far with, with Etta. Um, At what point you know, did that anxiety, which is obviously understandable, especially with the thirty-eight weeks, does that ever go away? I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think because, like I said, but I so think, it's managing it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. And I think it's. I think it's managing the um, managing the feelings as well. 
because with with Callie, Crystal had we had an early scare with Callie. So like early on with the pregnancy, we thought that we'd lost her. We hadn't at that point. Right. So um, you know, how but, how long was this? That was quite. That was I want to say twelve weeks in. Okay. Like, so it was quite okay. an early one. You know, I think Crystal had a bleed, and we thought that that was that, um, but it wasn't. And obviously, we went on to have Callie, but. Uh, even up to the point of Etta coming, until she until she came and she and she, the, the best part about Etta coming was was the noise that she, that when she came out because I was like right that means yeah. she's alive. Oh bless, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's an yeah. awful thing to say in that sense, but I knew that Maybe. she was she was her lungs were were good and she was fit and healthy and. You do realise that means you're never allowed to tell Etta off for being noisy. No, no, yeah, yeah. Might have got some <laughs> yeah. shit music coming yeah. out from my bedroom in a few years' time from now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. No, absolutely right, yeah. That'll be yeah. it. And that'll certainly happen. When she's yeah. banging on the door at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Get back in, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, obviously similar but slightly different, just in the nature that you, you before you lost Lily May, you, you'd already had a child in, in, with Alfie. So what I was just trying to find and, and just was curious about was that difference maybe, or if there is, even if there is one at all I think yeah obviously it's a lot different to in terms of the experience of losing the baby the, the experience is exactly the same obviously but in terms of the experience of um, already having a child who was um, three years old when we lost Lily and then going on to have other children I echo exactly what Matt said which is that you you just can't enjoy that pregnancy hmm. or, or pregnancies as we were you know we were fortunate that we have gone on and had another three children. Did that repeat itself with each pregnancy? Then was yeah, it? Did absolutely. it ever sort of diminish slightly? It was just no. It there was always back. Yeah, yeah. There was always an anxiety. Yeah. There was always worry. I think to some extent it takes away the the sort of it sounds horrible when I say this, but it takes away almost the naivety of um, what you expect pregnancy to be like. Okay. So we obviously see it through television programs. We see it through the news. All this sort of stuff, and it isn't. It's nothing like what they show on on that. You know, real life pregnancy is completely different to you know what it's portrayed as in in soaps and and films it's just, and what it have you. It's completely different. And I think because when it's your first pregnancy, you do have a naivety about everything's going to be fine. Because well, wouldn't it be? We, well, uh, yeah. And also, as human beings, we oh, always yeah. say it's never going to happen to me. Yeah. And actually, when we lost Lily, we hadn't really ever heard well we'd heard of stillbirth but didn't really know too much about it to be honest the, the yeah. midwives didn't talk to us about it knew about miscarriage because miscarriage was spoken about mm. a lot more and usually it was get past 12 weeks and you can start telling the world and i think that's, yeah, that's the true point. i think that's the thing and i think it's that i remember when it when callie came and when this this is something i'll take to the day i go is that when the doctor came in to tell me that Callie had passed away. And I'll always remember the look on her face. Cause I mean, one, how'd you break that news anyway to someone? And two, it was like, well, no, that's not right. We, we had, we, and we heard it all the way through. It was textbook pregnancy, textbook pregnancy. If there was a textbook pregnancy, this would be it. And then within the space of an hour and a half, it's, it's literally your world's fallen f through the floor. And that's what took me and Crystal so long. And we'll never recover from that. Yeah. That's the whole part. Well, I it's think. such a swing, isn't it? It's ridiculous. I mean, your mind's yeah. not built for it. Yeah, yeah. You, the uh, human mind is not... And, uh, you know, Ryan will know that. It, you, the human mind is not built for de dealing with these feelings. It just isn't, you know, it ends. I, I, yeah, no, I actually think the hardest part as well, or one of the hardest parts is that you go from mm. your normal everyday routine 
within the space of a second, couple of seconds, being told that actually your world has just been flipped. Mm-hmm. It's almost like walking outside and getting smashed by a bus. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, that's yeah, yeah. the only way you can really explain that you, in that period of time, you've gone from everything's amazing mm. to my whole world now is, well, at that point, is totally and utterly shit. Yeah, yeah. torn apart. It's torn, torn to pieces. Yeah. And, it's, and you're right, you're not built to to take that and understand how to deal with those feelings at that precise moment in time, sorry. Mm. And I think for me as well, and, and, and I know for Amy, I panicked a lot about, well, what do we tell Alfie? Mm. He's three. What, what do we tell him? Alfie knows that he's got a baby brother or sister coming. What on earth do we tell him? Mm. They don't... Um, in fact, I remember sitting him down and telling him and saying that um, the baby wasn't coming home. Um, and that the baby had died because it's important to be honest with the kids. Yeah. And within two seconds, Daddy, can I go and play my trains? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because their kids obviously don't understand the finality of, yeah. of death and what have you. On episode two, we spoke to Laura and Bex from the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast, who are also releasing their own book very soon to get their perspective on things from the female side. The more we talk about it, the easier it is for others. Talking and writing, it's also therapeutic. And that's actually how we've dealt with it. And and this, doing the podcast and everything, has been like therapy for us. I've written a book and we're actually publishing a book in August as well, aren't we? So I wrote It Will Happen, which is not meant to be positive, by the way. (laughs) It's not toxic positivity. It's a a memoir of my own experiences of recurrent miscarriage um, that was published in October 2020 and um, the book that we've just finished almost finished writing is, is with the publishers at the moment we um, got a deal with HarperCollins Wow, congratulations Very exciting Thank yeah, Thanks But go and order it now because apparently all the pre-sales count towards the first week of real sales <laughs> so you can order it now and it will be sent to you in August, but it will right. count. And that's basically just, it's the survival guide. So it's called yeah. The Worst Girl Gang Ever, Survival Guide for Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss. Um, and it, we cover everything like marking your loss, grief, toxic positivity, family and friends, relationships. And we've got loads of um, loads of real life stories, loads of stuff from experts. Um, and it's just what we hope it will be is a book to, to gift people yeah. because no one ever knows what to buy and it will be something like almost a reference kind of guide that people can dip in and dip out of it's really funny we think but you know <laughs> um but it is it doesn't skirt around anything it just tells it how it is because we know how important yeah. it is to to um like knowledge is power it's our belief yeah. that knowledge is power and it's important to know what's going to happen when it's going to happen and all everyone's different experiences because i think that this these subjects that we cover are so multifaceted they're never even if two people had the identical experience they wouldn't feel the same way about it because they have not lived the same life you know they've got different backgrounds they've got different experiences upbringing schooling faith you know all those things come into how you experience something and I think that's so important especially for men and women as well because support looks different whether you like it or not the support that you need as as a man and a woman does look different and it's just acknowledging all that Bex, can, I heard you mention um, toxic positivity. Mm. Could Love you, that. Yeah, could you break that down? What you, you know, how you, what you, what you mean by that exactly? Because it's, it's quite an interesting. I've not heard that one yet. 
toxic positivity is the is the all the at least so it's it's basically i mean you guys must have heard them uh, if you if you suffer an early loss it's at least it was early or if you oh, right. um okay. if you already have children it's yeah. at least you've already yeah. got kids and stuff and it's just basically when we try or when people and uh, oh my gosh i did it before mm. i lost a baby i did it mm. because as humans i think we are so desperate we find it so uncomfortable to see people in pain that we're desperate to sort of guide them down this path of feeling better so we come along with our kind of emotional toolboxes and resources and we're like, oh, shit, you know, the, the tab that says baby loss, there's nothing there. We don't know what to do. So we kind of like overcompensate by trying to sort of look on the bright side and trying to make someone else look on the bright side with like, oh, at least this or at least that or, you know, positive vibes only and that sort of stuff. But what, what it does actually is it completely invalidates the suffering of the, of the person that you're speaking to. And it starts you thinking, it's certainly this, this is just my my experience it started me thinking i'm not coping properly because everyone else is saying things like at least you've already got kids at least it was early you know all this stuff which is making me feel like my grief is completely disproportionate to my experience and when you start down that path you start thinking oh my god i'm mad there's something wrong with me and other people are doing this and other people are coping easily and i'm not what why is this the case but actually it's not us it's it's other people and it's you know but with with the very best intentions yeah. don't get me wrong but by sort of plastering over the grief they're trying to make it go away but all they're doing is invalidating that our grieving process which just makes it harder um so yeah that is toxic positivity it's, it's trying to be positive yeah, yeah. when actually it's actually so much more validating yeah we wrote a post on it recently and it was saying something like uh i'm so sorry it's so shit it's worth a thousand at least it was early so, you know it's just yeah. just recognizing that grief and, and and being with someone and just saying something like i'm here if you want to talk yeah. or i know there's nothing i can say to make things better but i want you to know i'm thinking about you i think that's really well said and, and i like that that phrasing of it toxic positivity because it's true you know no, no one likes a miserable bugger but at the same time some days you know you walk into a room and there's the, the overly positive you need to have a, a, a mostly positive attitude but with a with a dose of realism there you know, at the same time doesn't it do you know what dan i'd rather somebody had just not said anything yeah yeah than actually I, I, come I out with some of yeah. those those sort of sayings i, I, I vaguely remember one of my i say friends ex-friends saying um something along the lines of at least you've got alfie yeah who was yeah. who was three at the time and and had he have had kids i think i'd have probably turned around and said so which one would you like to give up mm. because actually it's, it's just like asking exactly the same question there's no answer to it that you can't this is the thing with baby loss is people think that because you know they've lot they've they've experienced loss within their life albeit you know sad loss in terms of grandparents potentially parents and stuff that they understand what grief sorry what the grief of, of losing a baby is but actually they, they don't because it's a completely and utterly surreal universe that you are then putting it's flipped mm -hmm. on its head it's it's defying the order of how we're supposed to live we touched yeah. on last week didn't we about that the brain that our brains aren't meant to cope with those feelings yeah. of of standing next to a grave and burying your child you know you you, you yeah. don't you don't think you're ever you're ever gonna as you said go through that there's a stigma isn't there that males are the ones that are in control they they protect you know they they bring the money home they provide the house you know all this sort of stuff that males are things. looked at they fix things yeah they, they yeah, fix I things think 
I think that's a massive difficulty that we have with lots of our women as well is that there's a huge sort of often this is obviously generalizing but often women come to us and they say they're upset because they feel like their husbands are not grieving in the same way as them they feel like that their husbands or partners are not as upset of them they can't understand why they're not crying they can't understand how they can kind of be normal again you know the next day they can't understand how the pregnancy announcements they see don't affect them as in the same way and that is a really difficult thing because often when you scratch beneath the surface and we've had a lot of men on on the podcast it's not necessarily that they don't they're not grieving it's that their grief a looks different so what might be grief to to one of them is is not grief to the other and b there's this there's this real protection you know this is instinct of protection in a lot of men that actually wants to take the burden of that emotional side off the woman because physically you cannot you, you can't deny that it's the woman that physically goes through the trauma of the loss and for the man I think there's almost something inherent something really really animalistic that goes right I'm not having this woman in any more pain. So they field everything else, you know, it's, but actually that's incredibly, I think personally, I think it can be incredibly damaging because when you start, you know, in the real world back again and people says, oh, how is she? How is she? How is she? That must just almost invalidate your suffering as well, because you sort of, you never get, you, you can't go, well, how about me? Can you? I bet like that's a really difficult to say. You know, why aren't you asking about me? But there's two parents to every baby. The male parent is often overlooked because they don't grieve in the same way, or because they have this societal kind of pressure yeah. on them to take that, take what they can away, and, and be the shoulders of the relationship. And that must be a hell of a difficult thing to, to go through. We had a guest on, I think it was uh, series two. One of the things that he said, very similar, actually, um, it's what made me think of it. He was going to some support groups and he was there with his wife, but he always felt, and it wasn't anything against his wife and the groups that he was going to, and he was very keen to stress that. But it was the fact that he felt as if he was there to support her and no one was also reciprocating that back towards him also in these therapy sessions. And when he discovered a male-only support group, he parked up outside, he didn't want to go in and you know what it's like when, once you actually get in there everything's a lot different sometimes you just what's it what do they call it paralysis by analysis don't you just just go and just do it and he was is that right i think that's right yeah and he just yeah. went in and then oh, did that great go with it and i think <laughs> i almost got away with it until i questioned myself didn't i <laughs> so i think things like that are, are really important and it's not to say that everything has to be the guys and the girls have to be together it's good to have these these separate resources as matt alluded to earlier on it's something that your brain is not ever going to deal with well and sometimes you just need to be on your own you can maybe can't support your other half for a while and they can't support you for a while we were also joined on this series by simon philpot who was a guest way back at the start of series one to talk about recurrent miscarriages after he and his partner cat have now been through it six times i think one of the hard things um we we deal with as a charity is that when it comes down to to miscarriage people quite often have the perception that it's not the same feelings as what you would have with a stillbirth or a neonatal death. So with the first miscarriage, I think I felt a bit kind of numb and possibly even for the second one. By the third one, I started to question thinking, are we ever going to be able to get yeah. there? 
then we were very lucky. Were you angry? Was what was your emotions no, during see, this? See, one like, thing is, I've never, I've never, none of it's ever come out. You're a very man. calm man. Like, yeah, he's, he's yeah. Mr. Calm. I don't know. Ever since I was inside, angry. Eh? I, I oh, I do get angry. No, yeah. But this is one thing I've never, I've never got angry with this because. I don't know. I haven't got a reason to. It's there's no sort of yeah. It's frustrating because mm. ultimately we don't have any answers, but that's not anyone's fault. So yeah. there's nothing really to be angry about. It's just upsetting more than anything. So by the third one, I think I started to think, "Are we ever going to get there?" And I mm. think I started to sort of feel quite downbeat. And then when we got pregnant with Millie, uh, Millie with Isla. Yeah, that was that was tough. Like going back to what Matt, yeah. Matt said about sort of their pregnancy with uh, with Etta, I've never known something that felt like it was going really fast and standing still at the same time. Yeah, it was bizarre. And Brian's nodding. I reckon you felt the same with with your lot. Is yeah, it's such a weird. I think thing. I aged about twenty five years in that nine months. Yeah, yeah. Because well, every time yeah. Amy would roll over in bed, oh, I'd just think something was wrong. Yeah, well, she'd get up to go to the toilet, yeah, and yeah. she'd only go in the toilet. And I like, she must have been and stuff like, sick yeah. to death of me. Oh yeah. Because you, I mean, you you summed it up pretty well uh, where you said it, it, in that first sort of twelve weeks, um, a lot of it's psychological, and and you can see the difference within your partner or your wife. And you can see that difference and you know because you've seen that pregnancy line. So therefore, you know that that she's pregnant. But at the same time, it's if, if anything does go wrong, yeah. sadly, it, when it does go wrong, you just feel hopeless because you can't, there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do. Which to, has been a common theme we spoke about, isn't it? That, yeah. that feeling of hopelessness. It's that, hope, and... You just feel hopeless. And I think that was, that was my thing was I just felt hopeless. I, yeah. I didn't know what... Yeah. I didn't know what to say and I didn't know what to do because, again, it was I was experiencing something that we'd never experienced before. We'd experienced mm. a stillbirth. So I, I knew what to say and what to do, but I didn't have a clue what to say or what to do with a, with a miscarriage because we, we hadn't yeah, of course. ever experienced it. Mm. Um, and I'm just going to read out another comment from Tom. Um, Tom said that p- people say, you know, to keep it quiet for the first 12 weeks. Um, as after the first 12 weeks, you're in the safe zone. Again, we're coming back to this, aren't mm. we? Um, but anyone who experiences recurrent miscarriage will know it's not safe until the baby is in your arms kicking and screaming. It's almost as if you're feeling like you're waiting for something to oh, go I wrong. Mean, like, sort of, I think yeah. every, every one of those pregnancies we've had, we've now got to a stage where we almost expect yeah. it to sort of fail. And, yeah. you know, and if we get past the certain stages, and I know with Isla... We got the, you know, there were certain points where we got past them, and it was like, okay, right, we've got past that one. Now we've got to build ourselves up to the mm. next one, and then you think, okay, right, got past that. So we, just little goals each way. Then we get to way. we lost we lost Millie, uh, Millie at twenty six weeks, so we get the twenty six yeah. weeks is a big target. Get past that, and then you're just like, okay. And I remember with Isla, I mean, I think about every week, twice a week at least, Cat was going down to the hospital being hooked up just to check. Just, she, yeah. I remember there was there was one, there was sometimes where I'd get home from work and she'd be sat on the floor just in bits. And that was the same day she'd already been for a checkup. And it was almost like she just couldn't believe things were actually going okay. 
It's a, it's a strange sort of cocktail of emotions, isn't it? Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's like, and you know, a little bit of relief mixed up with that anxiety which comes back again. And there was me just thinking, well, are you being ridiculous? Are you not being ridiculous? And I, I kept saying to her, look, I think I, the way I looked at it was, look, you're my radar. I haven't, mm. I haven't got the feelings going on inside me. You're the one with everything. You're the one that would know if there's an issue. At the end of the day, if taking you to the hospital, even though you've only just been there this morning to get checked up again. If that's settles, what you need to do. Yeah. If that's what you need to do, you need to do it. And we we live quite a bit away. I think we're about 30-odd miles maybe from um, the hospital, that particular hospital. It's not in our local okay. area. Um, but, yeah, we we went there a lot. And we yeah. got used to paying for the car yeah. park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying car. to fortune in that car park. Yeah, yeah, I think man. I've got shares in it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something else we covered on this series of the Still Parents podcast was getting the thoughts and the opinions and the stories from some of the siblings affected by losing their brother or losing their sister. In some cases, they didn't even get a chance to meet them themselves. In episode four, we spoke to Alfie and to Freddie, the brothers of Lily Mae from the Lily Mae Foundation. To support the siblings, obviously, because quite often than not, they are forgotten in the mix of grief whether that be siblings who are already here when their brother or sister dies or siblings who sadly are born into that family uh, where they are aware that they have a brother or sister mm. who unfortunately they've never been able to meet. So it's a really important topic. It's a really important yeah. issue that needs to be addressed because, you know, at the end of the day, these kids are our future. And it's important to make sure that they're given a voice and a platform, uh, which is one of the reasons why we decided to invite both Alfie and Freddie in today because we're sort of two birds with one stone, really. Mm. We've got one that was pre-loss of Lily and one post-loss. But both have been very, very active in, in lots of different things to do with the charity since they've been here. I'd like to talk to you first, Alfie, about your your memories, if you can, and, and just any emotions and stuff that you may um, be able to recall. Now, I get when, when your sister passed, when Lily Mae passed, you were, I think, believe, was it, was it three, about three years old? Yeah, it was three years old, yeah. Well, uh, I don't, obviously, three, you, you don't really remember yeah. a lot of things from when you're three. All I do remember... I don't remember much at 43 now, to be honest with you, mate, <laughs> so don't worry. Uh, well, obviously, being told what happened, sort of... I don't know, sort of jogs it slightly. But obviously, at that age, you wouldn't really expect for a three-year-old to understand what was going on at the time. Like I can remember small snippets of like what was happening, obviously, between yeah. dad and mum, but never really understood why yeah. that was happening. And now that that story's been told to me, then it comes back clear as to like why that was happening. So I think when it was all going down, I was with my nan and granddad. Mm. Like, just didn't understand, just thought it was go. basically a holiday for me because... Yeah, you're like, I've got a you know. <laughs> Were you at school or your nursery at that time? Uh, I think it, it, it was, was at like Pathways, it, weren't it? Yeah, yeah, it was at a preschool. Okay. Um, so in your head, you've got a bit of time off school originally, yeah. isn't it? Three years old, yeah. But um, like my best friend, Aaron, no, I'm still best mates with him now. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I, I used to go around tears quite a lot when everything was happening. It was sort of just like a... A way to sort of, I, I would, you could probably back me up, it was a way to sort of distract me from what was going on, if that. Yeah. I think for us, it was important to keep him, so we, we kept him in preschool 
because we wanted to keep some form of normality for him. At three years old, obviously, like he's just said there, it's very, very... You, you won't get many three-year-olds who understand... Well, you won't get three-year-olds that understand um, death in general because yeah. they don't, at that time, have the maturity to be able to understand the finality of, of, of what's occurred. I vividly remember coming back to um, Amy's mum and dad's house after we'd just been told... Or, sorry, after we'd just been in the hospital and we'd found out the, the news and what have you and sitting Alfie down and at this point Alfie at three years old kids boys are either into trains cars or you know anything that they can just push around or mm. throw around and he I, I remember sitting him down and saying Alfie uh, the baby that was in mummy's tummy isn't going isn't coming isn't going to be coming mm. home there were no questions from him because he's not you know, he's not. He wouldn't have been mature enough to ask them. And within 10, 15 seconds, it was like, okay, can I go and play my trains? Yeah. Because that's how kids yeah, work, isn't yeah. it? You know, that's Absolutely. exactly how they work. Whereas he would have been aware, like he said, when he's going between grandparents' houses and, and you know, where we're... You can sense, there's a sense, isn't yeah. there? You can sense things where it's not tangible, isn't it? But that's yeah, and then what you get usually with kids at that age is you tend to then start getting the anxieties, mm. you know, maybe things like ticks, things like that. Where, Did you notice anything like this with, with Alfie? Do you know what? Hand on heart, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I really can't. We did go through a phase at one point with Alfie where, where he had a, like a ticky type thing. It was something to do with his eye, I think. Um, and we put it down to the fact that it probably was stress. Yeah. It probably anxiety was related. anxiety and, yeah. and what have you. But for us as as parents at that time, when it was obviously very raw and emotional, we Alfie thinks that he came to the hospital, right? But he didn't come to the hospital. Well, I don't, I don't know because, well, obviously, <laughs> as I say, free. You don't really remember that much yeah. stuff, but. The, I could have sworn I was there once. The, the reason, and, and actually, you know, the reason we didn't take Alfie to the hospital to meet Lily was because Alfie at three had a very, very vivid imagination. He was one of these types of kids where anything that happened would stay with him. And we didn't want to frighten him. Yeah. We didn't want to put him into a situation where it was going to potentially make things a lot, lot worse. Mm. Is um, it, you've got to really handle it, haven't you? I yeah. I was gonna say, so Sorry, let me bring him back White House. Yeah, Matt. No, no, it's, uh, it's a real balance, isn't it? Because, like, even even now, like, we, you know, talking with a different perspective, we've now got Etta, who's, who's come after Cali, and he's that whole balance of, you know, we're, we're, uh, we've always been honest and open about Cali and stuff, and Etta is for turning five September, so she's just a slightly older than Alfie was. But as Ryan has already said, she's doing her best, but she's not mature yeah. enough to understand exactly what it's all about at the moment. And, you know, she said little things here and there. She'll say like, oh, Sissy's, Sissy's uh, here, but she's not a real person, is she? And it's like, but it, it's trying to then f tell her, yes, she is. But she's I was going to say, how do you, when she comes over and, and, and well, asks we, you that question, we, how do you respond? We just we just respond as honestly as we, we can. We just say like, you know, um, yes, yeah, she's a real person, but she's just not, She's yeah. just not here, you know. Um, and she knows that she passed away, you know. Yeah. She she she's she understands that, but she doesn't understand why. Or and I guess over time, that's you know, that's conversations that you're going to keep revisiting and 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 with different levels of the information, isn't yeah, it? As the, as the brain matures and 
they become more inquisitive because I just realised. So, Freddie, you're, you're five, aren't you? So, my uh, my youngest daughter just up. Sorry, <laughs> other, one. other one's five. Who, who did I just say? Freddie, he said he was five. Fred, yeah, yeah. Right, I'll start that again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Freddie, you're ten. There we go. Right, which actually invalidates my entire point I was about to make. So. <laughs> to, to come back to what you were saying a moment or so ago, Ryan, and, and with what we just touched on, those conversations that you've had, um, sticking with Alfie for the, for the time being and how they've changed over the years. And, and you can jump in too with just, it's quite interesting to see how you've grown up knowing what's happened and how you've, you've handled it and managed it and, you, you know, you're getting on with your life. I think one of the, the sort of key things to... To say, if to, I mean, to obviously any parent that's that's listening who have got other children, whether that's pre-loss or, or post-loss, is that every parent knows their own child, you know, and knows how to deal with that child. What they might not know is the wording to use and things like that. But actually, the the decision making in regard to when we um, didn't take him to hospital was because we knew exactly how that was going to yeah. pan out for him. And also from where, you, you know, it's no disrespect to the children in the room. I've got two myself and I know sometimes you don't they need a lot of attention. Yeah. And there's not the moment where you can really be no, giving it absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. And also you put them in, in that room, yeah. which is a room full of like pure sadness, sadness yeah. where they're seeing hmm. so many people crying and, yeah. and so many people in you know, distress and what have you. As a three-year-old, it's just not the, yeah. the thing that we wanted him to 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 sort of remember i think over the years when you know we used to do but well we do birthdays and 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 things there's one i've always had this one image of alfie that's always stuck with me as well which was lily's first birthday when we went to the cemetery and i'll I'll never forget him holding a, a a balloon and amy's mobile phone with um somewhere over the rainbow plane on it and he stood there and I remember looking at him thinking, like, what have, what have I done? What have we done? Like, what, for me, what have I done? What do you mean by what have you, by, by taking Alfie to, to the... No, it was more of a, why couldn't I stop all of this? Oh, sort okay. of thing, what, what have I done? So you're torturing, you're mentally torturing yeah, yourself, men- really, there. mentally because, torturing yeah. myself, because, and that's yeah. where, you, then it came back down to a, a lot of the sort of the control guilt, thing it? and the yeah. guilt and things like that. And it was then really, really important to be able to hmm. get him a, a, a brother or a sister. Yeah. Or it was just, it was torture. It was absolute torture. Alfie, when he was younger, came to the funeral. A couple of months later, I think it was, he said, I don't want to go to one of those weddings where everybody cries. Oh. Because, because he, at that point, he thought it was a wedding because it's in yeah. a church. Yeah. And it's, you know, there were lots of people there. Oh, wow, but for okay. him... The way he processed it as a child was he didn't want to go to one of those weddings where everybody cries. I've never since been to a funeral. Never. I can't be in a room yeah. where there's that much emotion and yeah. it's like going all around in your head and you you know what's going on and you can't do anything about it. I can totally understand that. You've been amazingly brave. And one thing I will say is that as you get older, you will go to a lot of weddings, especially when they're your mates' ones, and they are chuffing brilliant fun. That's yeah. absolutely right. And sometimes you cry because you think, oh, yeah. I'm never going to go out for a beer ever again. <laughs> you, will, you will also see some people crying <laughs> at weddings and then you can play a little game in your own head called, are they happy tears or sad tears? Whatever that. <laughs> Just the rumour I've heard. Uh, <laughs> makes me think, actually, of, of Freddie at one point. He used to have a pet frog. 
but the frog was dead. That it, was the best frog ever. <laughs> I remember his name actually. Was, his name was Dodo. Dodo the frog. But yeah, he was dead. Yeah. Found it yeah. honestly. There was a dog, a, a dog, a frog. Sorry, in the garden, and yeah. it was already dead. Listen, I'm no child psychiatrist in any way, shape, or form, but I, I do often wonder whether there is a link between something like that and, a, and adopting that sort of mentality against an animal or something. Possibly. Because yeah. of an understanding of what's, you know, maybe, I Possibly. don't know, like I say, I'm not a yeah, first I mean, in it, but... I mean, it'll be interesting to find if anyone listening can answer that. It'd be quite an interesting one. Just just before we move on, since then, Freddie, have you moved on to living pets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> on episode five, we were joined by Ollie Monk from Angels United FC ahead of our big charity football match against them at Birmingham City. A game which we won, by the way, because it was a couple of weeks ago now. But before the game, we all sat down to talk about the crucial role that sport, and in particular team sports, can play in the mental well-being of people going through trauma. I remember going to watch Villa United three weeks after Lily was stillborn in the League Cup and um, at Wembley. But I tell you now, I couldn't have cared less where I was. Yeah. Because at yeah. that moment in time, I just... Well, I, I, Is there a sense of it's that familiarity, though? You're in your... It's almost like a tribe, isn't it? You're with your people. Yeah. You don't know them, but they're there. Yeah. And also, I think as well, I mean, I, I hold my hands up as well. I went through a phase after Lily with, through sort of extreme anger where I would go to the football. And if you were sat by me, you were you were going to hear me for right. 90 minutes because it was my way of just getting it out. Yeah. And um, I'm not proud of, but it's a release though. Isn't it? That was my release. There's the fine line, isn't there? Because it, exactly that is it. It's competitive sports. And whether you're playing or watching, there is that release. I've got to be honest. I, I surprised myself not that long ago. I went back in and played over 35s. I know I don't look it, but I played over 35s. And uh, <laughs> and um, on my football boots, I've got Lily's name stitched into in, into the boot. For no other reason, I mean, you see these people who have their own names on them, and I sort of think, well, unless you're earning 50 grand a week, mate, you've got no right to do that. It's just so, so they know it's their boots, though. Yeah, some absolutely, of them are a bit yeah. Dumb. I mean, some of them have to put L and R, and they still get them on the wrong <laughs> way. But, like, yeah, so I've got Livy's name on, on my boots. And I remember one a manager in one of the over 35 team said something to me about, oh, you muppy, you've got, like, you've got something on your boots or something like that. So and I was like... Set you off. We didn't. No, I took a big sort of step back and oh, sort right, of okay. thought, actually, this bloke needs to be educated a little bit. Yeah. So I explained why. Yeah. And actually, he was really apologetic. But that is... This during the game? Yeah, this was... Well, come off. I, yeah. I was blowing a little bit so I came off for a break <laughs> <laughs> you'll see that a lot Ollie when we play you that I tend to come off quite a lot <laughs> I was just going to say we played a game one of the players kept calling one of our dads granddads alright granddad you can do this and one of them just had a quiet word and said he's probably never going to be a granddad because he's part of our team do you know what we stand for Oh yeah, yeah. and Christ. that lad soon become like oh, public, yeah. ed- public enemy number one in the next tackle well, yeah, but he he soon learned as well that yeah. perhaps sometimes it's better to keep them sort of things quiet. Yeah. In a weird way, it's that's the fact he was a bit of an idiot gave the opportunity to then be educated on it, and it was up to him and his own mentality whether he was going to accept it or not. Which it sounds like in that that occasion it did. So it, sometimes it's so you know I mean it, it comes together, yeah. and we've all been in those football games where the person that you're up against on the pitch, you know, they're the last person, you wait, you wait to me, you want to do them, don't you? And at the end of the game, it's like the end of a boxing match. You're all like, oh, well played, mate. Good on you. And we'll see you in the clubhouse. It's, yeah. it's strange that it's like a, a little mental switch, isn't it? 
And the first thing that we did um, when we lost Cali was organise a football match. And it was my, again, because I felt like it was like a, it's my way of going to something that I know. And, Absolutely. And, and we lost her in the June and the first big fundraise we did was in October. And it was a football match. We raised a nice amount of money and and, and, I, and it was more the, the, the thing that really stood out to me was when I put a message out on Facebook for players who wanted to come and play. I was in and dated by people like lads who I'd played with in the past and, and yeah. they were like, yeah, get, get me there. We have all in here been brought up around sport, clearly, because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it and yeah. we wouldn't be playing it. And I think the one thing, like a question I was actually going to ask Nathan and I was going to ask you as well, um, Ollie, was... I remember walking into that, this to Nathan, I remember walking into that changing room for our first game against Sands. And I, when we were in there, thought, bloody hell, this is quiet. Yeah. It's really quiet in here. Your changing room is basically, right, this is, we're going to get ready for warm, we're going to go out. And yet this was completely different because it was deathly quiet. Yeah, it was penny drop, wasn't it? It really it was. was. It was. And I was wondering with you as well, Ollie, and I'll, I'll um, come yeah. to you in a second, is... How did you view that when you walked in there? Because at first I started to think to myself, oh my God, we, this is going to be hard work here. Yeah, it was It was a strange feeling to, for, for it to be that quiet in there. I think some of it was us not all knowing each other hugely that well. But by the end of the football game, you felt like you really did know each other much better as, as is usual for playing sport with, with other yeah. people. Um, but I think a big part of it as well was... The, the occasion, you're sitting there and you know why you're there and why you're about to play a game of football. And I think there was just a lot of people thinking mm. about why they were sat around the, the changing room. That's certainly what I started to do. I hadn't thought of that, that, yeah. that angle. And, and that's, that's, that, I think that's why I was... I remember you coming back in and saying, it's quiet in here, lads, come on. We, 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 I know it's a, a charity game, so we want to win. That, 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 that. Yeah. And, and I thought, yeah, he's absolutely right. And, yeah. and you know, my mindset certainly wasn't on not winning because... Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, but I, I know that was a big part of it for me and that's why I felt it was probably the way yeah. it was in the changing room. Yeah, we had the funeral. The following day, I had run away to football. Gillingham were playing at Accrington Stanley, so it was only half hour away. So this is when I realised how powerful football was. That, mm. um, and after the game, I tweeted something like, for the first time in a while, I cracked a smile and felt normal. I had every player at Gillingham reach out to me. I had oh, the wow. manager on the phone to me the following day. Two weeks later, we, there was talk of um, a minute's applause being done in the 13th minute. And we were st stood there, sat there watching, and it got to the 13th minute and the whole crowd started clapping. Oh, and wow. My dad said, I, I spoke to my dad after the game and he said, oh, what was the game like? And I went, oh, I can't tell you. And he said, why? And I said, well, I know we lost, but after the 13th minute, I haven't got a clue what was going on. <laughs> so the uh, captain at the time, Mark Byrne, got man of the match and he come up after the game and he apologised for not getting a result and... You shouldn't laugh, but you always do. He gave my wife a hug and she just turned around and went, oh, he stinks. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he's just played 90 minutes of football in the teaming down rain. They, they were so, it was so weird because he's like, oh, really sorry we let you down. We let this. And it was like, I can't even remember. Yeah. Well, we lost 2-0, but I can't even remember the games. So don't worry about it, and Mel. You can see what a, um, a moment that was for you and how important that was because we've discussed it before. And for anyone who, you know, who's, who's listening and watching this podcast, who's not into football, it's just, it's the power of sport. And in particular, I mean, it's, we're all massive fans of our four different clubs in here. And it's amazing how much it can tie in with your life because it's something I think maybe, you know, it's a British guy thing too. 
but with football fans all over the world, it's it's there from such an, an early age. Obviously, on a completely different scale. My 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 love for my team, Leicester, was just built through the fact that that was my relationship with my with my dad. That was it. That was the only thing that we did because he, you know, he was from an early day. That was the only thing that we, the only time I ever seen him. So that's I, I watch it, and it's sort of like hanging out with him. So they are some of the conversations that we had during Series 4 of the Still Parents Podcast. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you so much for following us at Still Parents Podcast on Instagram and for listening to the show. If you know somebody who would like to come on or if you would like to come on yourself, we would love to hear from you. Of course, we understand if it's a little bit difficult or it's not something you'd like to do, especially at this moment in time. But Ryan and Amy and everybody else from the Lily Mae Foundation are here for you whenever you need their support. I'll leave the details in the description for this episode. And we will be back with our brand new series shortly. Until then, take care of yourself and we'll see you very soon.